Hello and welcome to the Blockchain and Us, where pioneers and thought leaders talk about their journey in blockchain technology, crypto assets, and the token economy. And I'm your host, Manuel Staggers. This episode has support from my very own The Blockchain and Us newsletter. Get an email from me every two weeks with a very short summary of new podcast episodes so you can immediately pick those interviews you'd like to listen to. To stay up to date, just visit www.theblockchainandus.com and sign up today. My guest today is Phil Zamani. Phil is the chairman of the Ergo Foundation and co-CEO of Blocko, Korea's largest blockchain infrastructure provider. He has over 20 years of experience in managing open source businesses and has worked as senior VP at Deutsche Telekom's cloud business unit, VP of sales and business development at Red Hat, and as global head of big data and cloud models at Banca Santander. And now to the conversation with Phil Zamani. Hi, Phil, and many thanks for taking time today. Hi, very good to be with you. Thanks, Manuel. Phil, you've spent a lot of your career integrating open source software and are now leading a blockchain firm in Korea called Blocko. And um, we'll speak about Blocko later in this conversation, but let's first speak a little bit about open source and blockchains. For example, um, you've worked a lot on Linux and Red Hat. And how do you see these projects differ from how open source development works in the blockchain space? Okay, no, really good question. Quite difficult to answer, but let me try and give you a short answer. So firstly, blockchain like Linux is an open source project. So the technology is free for people to use and adopt and change. The, I guess the biggest difference between Linux and blockchain is Linux solves a different problem. Linux is a replacement to an operating system that was used for many years by many large companies, typically Unix operating systems. Mm -hmm. Blockchain is, is different in that it's not only a replacement technology, but it introduces a new way of doing business. In effect, blockchain allows trust to be implemented using technology where trust doesn't exist. So it's not only technology, it introduces a new methodology. But blockchain will probably follow a similar path to Linux and other open source projects in that it, if it is to be adopted worldwide, it needs to attract many developers and many customers. And by being an open source platform, it has a better chance of being adopted. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the open source um, paradigm, you know, where, where we say it's about um, bazaars and cathedral building, is do you mm -hmm. see any difference between how developers work on a project like Linux or how they work on blockchains? Yeah, there is one difference in that Linux from the beginning was one project, in effect, one operating system. And the community very quickly got behind the leader of the project. At the time, it was Linus Torvalds and his number two was Alan Cox in the UK. And they pretty much organized the project around their common theme. Blockchain, on the other hand, there are many variants of blockchain. So it's like having multiple Linuxes. So I personally believe that we will see in the next three to four years, fewer of these emerge as major platforms. There probably won't just be one blockchain. There'll probably be a handful of them, pretty much like cloud computers. That's where it's different from Linux. Linux became one platform that many companies use. But uh, we believe, I believe, blockchain will emerge like cloud computing, where you'll have probably a handful, maybe up to 10 blockchain platforms around the world. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. I just, I wanted to ask that too. I mean, because oftentimes, um, you know, there's these two views, right? There, One is there can only be one blockchain and it will rule them all. And the other one is that, you know, there's many, many integrating systems, um, you know, also with, with projects like Cosmos or Polkadot where, you know, you can, you can develop almost in a platform or blockchain agnostic way. So you just said you think it's more the latter. There will be several projects and several blockchains that intersect with each other? Yes, I think. I strongly believe that. And, you know, we, I, one of my catchphrases is in IT and technology, whilst history doesn't always repeat itself, it definitely rhymes. And there's a rhythm to how technology gets adopted. And I'm talking about transformative technologies like TCPIP, HTTP in the 80s, Linux around 2000, cloud computing in the last 10 years, Hadoop for big data, um, you will find that in general, there's quite a lot of competition in the first few years until the, the, the hype dies down. And then there's a consolidation for platforms to so-called cross the chasm. I believe this will happen with, with a blockchain as well. And just to add one dimension, when I mentioned earlier, Linux was one platform, mm -hmm. actually it's not quite true. There's actually two Linux platforms. But most people don't know that the second one is actually a Linux platform. Linux is a general operating system that is used to power most of the internet, most of the cloud computing world. But Android is actually a derivative of Linux as well. It's a Linux version built for mobile phones. So there, there will be a number of platforms. And as you, as I indicated, as you, I think, agree, there will be a number of platforms around the world. There'll be probably, I guess, less than 10 blockchain platforms in the future and they will be either very large general purpose platforms or there will be specific platforms for very large industries like banking mm -hmm. and where do you see ethereum and the bitcoin blockchain fit in there yes i think it's probably worth explaining bitcoin is what we call a first generation platform it's a single application the bitcoin coin running on a single kernel or single platform which is bitcoin protocol Ethereum is what's called a second generation platform. It also runs on one chain, the Ethereum chain, but it offers multiple applications by way of smart contracts. Uh, there are now third generation platforms that are trying to fix performance issues. And then there's emergence of even what we call fourth generation platforms of which we are involved with one of them that is trying to do much more than pure blockchain. So I think Bitcoin will probably be around for many years because the usage of the coin will be still Interesting to many parties who want to exchange value from a, uh, an asset perspective where they need security and privacy. Um, if Ethereum, on the other hand, I personally have a view that maybe Ethereum will, will morph into something different. What that may be, I don't know. I think Ethereum emerged as a alternative to Bitcoin to fix a business use case. So it's a general purpose platform for B2B type platforms. However, I personally believe it will not have the scalability and performance needed longer term to be the only platform. It will probably be around for quite a few years, but whether it's the only platform is very doubtful. I think the architecture is flawed in many regards. Mm -hmm. Still, at the same time, there's you know enterprise solutions now being rolled out on Ethereum. I mean, what what's your view on that? Well, there's a lot of applications and proof of concepts, and there's many, many thousands of projects on Ethereum, but very few of them in production. And you've got to ask the question, why are these projects not really in production? And it's because it's not just about blockchain. What many people forget when you try to launch applications that are business-oriented or community or ecosystem-oriented, 
you've got to implement an end-to-end system, which is not just the blockchain itself. It's the it's the integration with the IT infrastructure, the communication platform, the throughput, the security. Uh, and as I say, integration is one of the biggest issues. So there are many proof of concepts, but not many production systems yet at scale. Mm-hmm. But is this the fault of the blockchain or is this more, you know, are more the enterprises to blame, you know, that they have legacy systems that they need to integrate, that maybe their processes and culture don't really mesh with with this approach? Or, or where do you see the, the main bottleneck in, in that adoption? Yeah, but, yeah, I don't think it's a, a fault. I think it's just a reality that technology takes time to really, really move through the maturity curve. Uh, on the one hand, you're absolutely right. For large companies, integration, lack of skills, security, performance, and scale is the issue that stops blockchain projects from being deployed. But it's also uh, the the way companies want to use technologies. When you adopt a new technology, you often, many companies try to use this to replace existing systems, primarily to cut costs. Actually, it didn't work that way. Most technologies really get adopted when you do something different, when you do something transformative. So most of the POCs out there are built on existing architectures where, unfortunately, integration becomes a bottleneck. The companies who are tend, tend to make most progress with new technologies like blockchain are the ones that take what's called a clean sheet approach. They try to design something new where they do not have to worry about integration, at least in the first phases. I mean, you just mentioned some of the bottlenecks for enterprises and another huge bottleneck, I think, you know, especially with Linux was, of course, also that the current vendors that um, had locked in, you know, many of the corporations wanted to push their own version of of the operating system on on their customers. And um, obviously something similar it is happening in the blockchain space too, where you have these enterprise blockchains, permission blockchains um, from from big consortiums. Um, so, how do you see parallels between maybe how this Linux war uh, versus uh, Windows or other proprietary solutions versus the you know this blockchain um, challenge of different blockchains or proprietary blockchains for enterprises pans out? Yeah, so it's a good question. In fact. Again, to paraphrase the example I used earlier, that history doesn't always repeat itself, but it rhymes. Most vendors out there, whether they're software vendors, hardware vendors, or integrated OEM, tend to focus on their customers, existing customers. And they have so-called lock-in because their technology is adopted and it's difficult to replace one system with the other. So many of these companies used to have their own operating systems. So before the late 90s, there were many, many versions of Unix's uh, BSD, System 5, AIX from IBM, HBUX from HP, SunOS from Sun Microsystems. And to some extent, the operating system glues everything together. It converts applications into computer language that the computer can use. So once you adopt an, a, an operating system, it's very difficult to get to switch out. So most of these vendors have no interest in adopting new operating systems because it, it in effect, affects their main revenue stream. That's why in technology, whenever a new disruptive technology comes along, you typically have the large IT vendors ignoring this and saying this will never work. It won't work because it's open source, it's free, it's blockchain, Mm -hmm. nobody knows where it works. Then after a couple of years, they all come in, they all enter, and suddenly they're all pro the technology. And they will then use their brand. Well, of course you can use this technology, but you must use it from us because we're a very large company. 
that starts with an I and then ends with an M. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, uh, and, and suddenly they try to take over the market. But then three or four years later, the market actually finds the right solution. And typically the right solution is new entrants who come and who are dedicated to this market. So when you look at Linux, many companies like IBM, Microsoft, HP, all and Oracle push their own versions of Linux. And they still have this version of Linux, but they don't make any money out of this because they pretty much give this away at a low cost to try and keep their customers happy. The most used Linux in the world is Red Hat Linux and SUSE. They're the ones that are adopted by most companies because these companies, all they pretty much do is Linux. When you look at big data and machine learning, there are many variants of big data out there, but it's companies like Fortinworks and Cloudera who are offering the solution because these are dedicated companies at this. So in technology, specialism and dedication often wins longer term. It wins with developers and it wins with the customers. We think the same will happen with blockchain. There are many large companies talking about blockchain and promoting blockchain, and no doubt they have great solutions. But many customers will probably go with new technologies that are dedicated to this market. That is pretty much our strategy. Mm -hmm. And the main reason for that, I mean, you mentioned um, a few reasons. Basically, you said specialization and a, a single focus on, on this application. Is this the reason why companies should you know, adopt maybe not the proprietary version from that company starting with an I and ending in an M, but maybe something that's open source? Yeah. I mean, like, like everything, it's never black or white. And many companies will take an open platform from a large vendor when they decide it's just another piece of technology. And it's often convenient to stay with your existing big vendor and add it to your existing contracts. So it's simple to stay with existing big vendors. But if a company has decided that this technology is truly important to them and they want to grow on top of this technology, they will always seek to get the best support they can for this technology. And often the best support comes from the people who are actually very close to the technology, typically developing this tech like Red Hat, like uh, Hadoop. You know, so it, it, in, in, in simple words, if it's not important, you may just take the same version of the software from an existing vendor If you believe this technology is transformative and important for your future, you are likely to go and find a dedicated customer that all they do is support this infrastructure because you want the best service 24 by 7, 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. Okay, good point. And um, what's your view? I mean, you just mentioned... Um Or not sure you mentioned it, but in a, in another conversation, you mentioned Corda and R3. What's your view on these consortiums? Yes, I think uh, the key word is the last word you use, consortiums. In technology, especially disruptive technologies, when consortium get together, the real value they bring is long-term standardization. But the thing they don't bring is innovation quickly because consortium typically are driven with a vested interest, with, a, if you like, a hidden agenda. The companies that often drive this consortium are big vendors, and their interest is to, if you cannot beat the technology, get it close to you so, so you can control this. But I have a very skeptical view of this consortium when it comes to open source, because most consortium have not succeeded in promoting the technology, because the technology in open source follows a different path. It's a path that no, how, no matter how big the vendor is, you cannot control the way open source developers adopt and promote these technologies. So I actually think many of these projects will probably either fail or not meet their original objectives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some, I think, have already scaled back, you know, some of these banking blockchains, I believe. So let's say, let's say somebody was a bank 
and you know had the option of joining a consortium or developing their own approach to blockchain technology so what what do you think should they be doing well they should do what they think is right but i think there's a third option one option is to build it themselves but a bank building software is a bit of an oxymoron banks are there to make money by in investing people's money in, in, in different projects. So building software is not a skill that many banks have or will have anytime soon. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, many, many people working at banks, they say banks have been software companies for 20, 30 years. Yeah, well, I don't agree with that. I think some banks have been software companies. It's typically people like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, but 99% of the banks are using software. They're not software companies, they use software. And, uh, and this is a, a very important thing, I believe, that to really be a true software company, you need, need to live and breathe software all the way through. And this is a challenge because those companies who think they can become software companies just by declaring that they're a blockchain company or they're building up a source will learn the hard way. It takes a lot longer. It takes time to develop technology. And sometimes these companies don't have the patience. It's not about money. It's about how fast the technology can be evolved. So most of the banks tend to either join a consortium partly to learn and use this as a test bed to see is this technology really going to disrupt our business. But some also join because they generally want to promote the technologies, but eventually they'll hit the same problem. Who is going to support the software? Because ultimately you will never deploy any critical piece of software in your business unless somebody can give you 24 by seven support. Now a bank is not really there to give you 24 by seven support for software is there to give you support for accessing your, your assets. So eventually somebody will need to be the custodian or the owner or the, the principal, um, if you like, insurance company for this technologies. And that's why eventually it will end up becoming a vendor unless this completely changes and it hasn't changed in the last 40 years. So I don't see why that's going to change in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I mean, last question about that. You said maybe a bank or another, you know, incumbent big corporation that wants to get their feet wet with blockchain technology may want to join such a consortium just to learn and, you know, dip their toes a little bit on, in the water and see what that feels like. But um, what do you think would be a good approach for, you know, a company that feels that the blockchain will somehow transform their business model? and will, you know, cut some of their revenue streams. But nevertheless, they have to keep the technology close, like you said before, and understand it to, to be able to compete in the future. So what do you think is an approach a company like this should take to this, uh, to this technology? Yeah, again, a very good question. And I have a biased answer because I've done this well and not well in two companies. If you want to use transformative technology, really new technology, you must empower the team to have enough time and space to experiment, to assess whether the technology can really meet the kind of hype that often is associated with new technologies. That means setting up a dedicated engineering team with leadership team, enough time, money, and space and flexibility to experiment. Now, in a banking world, that means creating a complete sandbox for the team to experiment without any restrictions that typically you would put on technologies. That's the first thing. The second thing is you need to pick a realistic project to really get to results quickly. Because if your project takes a year to produce any results, people just lose interest. So you need to be able to do this within three to four months maximum. And that means often partnering with somebody because it will take your team time to ramp up on the skills. So you must find 
a starter or a dedicated company that can quickly raise your awareness and your skill set to do a really good proof of concept. Thereafter, you've only got to decide, is it worth doing a real production system? Because a real production system will be much more complex to implement because typically you've got to get it work within your existing IT system. There are other requirements around regulation, security, performance, stability here. So in short, if you want to use a new technology, you must give the team time to experiment. Then you need to decide what happens next and think through how would you adopt this within your business. Those companies who do not do that nearly always fail. There are many, many innovation units and incubation units in banks, in telcos, in manufacturing companies, in very large companies. Very rarely do they generate technology that is used by the business. And often it's because they forget about the politics and the integration difficulties needed for new technology to get adopted within the company. Okay. I mean, you just mentioned that on the surface, it looks like they're doing a lot, but maybe when you dig a little deeper, they're, you know, just doing business as usual. Let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. This episode has support from my very own The Blockchain and Us newsletter. Get an email from me every two weeks with a very short summary of new podcast episodes so you can immediately pick those interviews you'd like to listen to. To stay up to date, just visit www.theblockchainandus.com and sign up today. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's a dress rehearsal. It's like uh, it looks good to be showing that you're looking at blockchain or things like that. But until you, first of all, understand whether it's right for your business, because it may be not right for your business then you've got to find a use case that will drive value for the business to get adoption and awareness so you can slowly start raising the profile of this new technology within the business. That means you need a sponsor, but you also need to have help to identify which workloads can be done quickly to prove value. And if you focus on using these technologies predominantly to cut costs immediately, you often fail. Because frankly speaking, you'd be better off just asking for a discount from an existing vendor and saving the hassle of adopting new technologies. Most new technolo technologies get adopted when they can do something new for the business. And that's where the most advanced companies looking at blockchain are spending their time thinking through where could we use a blockchain-based architecture to create new value for our business, for our customers, or our suppliers. Mm -hmm. Good point. Was there anything you wanted to add to, to this conversation about open source and applications? Otherwise, we can move on to Blocko and Ergo. Yeah, well, I, again, I don't want to plug this, but I, I had been asked this question a few times before. So I actually wrote a quite a detailed article which summarizes the parallels between Linux and Red Hat with how blockchain may evolve in the enterprise space. So if people are interested, they could go online to Medium. They can look up my name, Phil Zamani, and there's a very detailed article which explains the, the learnings over the last 25 years. And that might be of use to some of your listeners. Yeah, definitely. I'll definitely put that link in the description of, of this episode. Thank you. Let's move on to your current projects, um, Blocko and Ergo. So can you just um, maybe briefly describe what, what these projects are all about? So yeah, so Blocko is a company based in South Korea, where I'm currently uh, talking to you from. So it's a four-year-old, probably one of the oldest companies involved in the blockchain. Their background has been to take existing technologies, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and take this to customers who want to experiment and try out blockchain in proof of concepts. They did this over the past four years. And two years ago, 
they found a way to make these systems work in real life production systems, be it around spe specific use cases. So the company's transformed from being an early consulting private uh, POC company to doing full production systems. So as of today, Blanco is now a four-year-old company backed by companies like Samsung. We've raised uh, significant funding. This is uh, equity funding to grow the business. It's a 90-man organization that specifically takes blockchain into specific industries and builds production use cases. So companies like Samsung Card, Lotte Card, Hyundai, Kia Motors, Shinhan Bank, the largest bank in Korea, the National Bank of Korea, and even the government is using the technology from Blocko to build blockchain-based systems. So they tend to implement real-life systems. This company has realized that many of these platforms out there, like Ethereum and other projects, lack certain technologies before they can be used en masse. So Blocko has worked with a new foundation. It's an open-source-based foundation in Hong Kong called Ergo, spelled A-E-R-G-O. And this is building a completely new platform. It's a platform and not a protocol because it combines not only blockchain, some other advanced technologies and a, a different approach to try and create a new engine for blockchain-based systems to be used by any company around the world. And I'm glad to expand on that if you're interested to, for me to explain this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just the one follow-up question there. You said it's a platform, not a protocol. How do they differ exactly? Yeah, so think of a, a protocol like an engine in a car. And a platform is not only the engine, it's the chassis, it's the, uh, the interface, the steering wheel, and the, the tires. It's a complete machine. And this is a difference. Many of these blockchains are, in effect, technology platforms technology protocols. They're typically a public or a private blockchain used for specific use cases. But if you follow what I said earlier, for this technology to be adopted, you need much more around blockchain to make them a complete, complete ecosystem of technologies. And that's what we call a platform. So in the case of Ergo, we describe ourselves a fourth generation platform. Back to my analogy earlier about Bitcoin being a first generation. It's a fourth generation platform because it combines four key capabilities. Firstly, we do not believe it's a public versus private chain. It's both. And in fact, it's a combination. So it provides a hybrid approach to using private and public chains fit for purpose. That's the first approach. And I can come back to that later. Second is for these platforms to be used by businesses, you need to provide the software tools and the techniques that are needed to truly build business applications that can scale to hundreds, thousands, or maybe billions of IoT devices. To do that, you need to bring in the best of breed that is used by companies like Facebook and Google, Alibaba, and how they build applications that scale. So this means bringing in software development technologies, serverless computing, and cloud computing to give you the benefit of scale that cloud brings. So we're bringing that into blockchain, and we think it's one of the first times this has ever been done at this level. The third thing is open source. We're making our architecture open source, not only in terms of technology, in terms of licensing, in terms of approach. This is why we set up the foundation to be a not-for-profit foundation in Hong Kong. And last but not least, we're bringing in the skill sets and the tools needed to fast-track developers so they can quickly start building blockchains. So Blocko is a strategic technology partner of Ergo. So Block is providing its core skills and its technology to incubate the beginning of Ergo. So all that know-how 
having worked with over 23 customers in Korea and built over 25 production systems with many millions of users. All those skills and all those capabilities and know-how we're bringing into recipes, which we call deployment workbooks, deployment blueprints. We're bringing that skill set and that capability into the system to allow pretty much any company to build a blockchain pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You mentioned some of the companies that you worked with in South Korea, um, Samsung, Hyundai, and, and others, Lotte, I think. What are some of the, um, of the learnings maybe that you, that you had with working with these companies? Yeah, sure. So one of the learnings is that blockchain does not work everywhere. It's still too immature in many regards to be used in every use cases. But there are some very, very good sweet spots of where blockchain can be used. And if you can find a customer where that sweet spot addresses a need that they have today, you can very quickly not only build a blockchain, you can build a relation and confidence with the client that they can actually do the second and third or fourth generation projects. In every case of these projects, we are doing multiple projects. We cannot announce them because some of them are very confidential, but these are being used as building blocks. So if you find the right customer, and the right use case and work together and deliver value, then you can move to the next level, which is actually validating this at a different scale on a more complex architecture. Mm-hmm. Were there also instances where, you know, you, you started working with a company, you had a pilot project, and then the company said, you know, that's just not for us? Yeah, that happens quite a lot early, where the customer has the wrong expectations or they've decided to change their mind. So this happens with any new technologies. And often it's the case that people who start the project either move on to a different project or the, the customer changes their priorities. Luckily, that does not happen that much right now because we've uh, learned quickly how to assess and qualify real interested companies and also qualify the workloads. And that's probably one of the key things in blockchain. If you have the expertise of where it doesn't work, you have a better chance of making it work where it works. But there are some some instances where customers have decided to back down and not pursue this approach. And you said it earlier, many banks started developing their own blockchains and for whatever reasons, they've abandoned or scaled down these operations. Mm -hmm. Have you been working with banks as well? Yeah, sure. We have uh, three banks in Korea. I mentioned two of them. Shinhan Bank is the largest bank in, in Korea and Korea National Bank. And in both cases, we're building identity management systems where we allow the blockchain to integrate to separate identity management systems across the group where they want a single source of truth. So they're using blockchain as the identity management master for different credentials to be validated. So they generally have one password, one, if like, AI interface into the world. So banks are using blockchain with us predominantly for identity management. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned IoT before. What kind of IoT projects are you working on? Yeah, so what we can talk about, we did this project a a while ago. We had an early project with Cisco to experiment with a distributed blockchain for what they call FOG computing, F-O-G. FOG computing is the idea that Cisco has that for IoT-based devices, which are billions potentially, to really scale, you have to move the intelligence from the center of the cloud to the edge, hence the fog. So Cisco wants to experiment with using blockchain as a way to validate devices and authenticate them in a distributed world because IoT devices by nature are distributed. So you cannot run a central database. 
for an IoT system where you have billions of devices. What you need is a distributed database. So the, the use case is a very natural one. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And um, most of your projects, even though you just mentioned Cisco, but most of your projects are in South Korea, right? Yeah, sure. But we are doing our projects internationally as well. Yes. What is... You know, speaking of South Korea, I mean, we often hear about, you know, the Korean market and mostly about the hacks of exchanges or some crazy prices that people pay for some coins. But um, what is South Korea like as a location for blockchain technology? Well, South Korea is amazing. And, uh, and I'll tell you the best power I can give you, Manuel. 20 years ago, people used to talk about Japan as the kind of the economic center of growth in Asia. This is before China became obviously where they are now. But just as we saw 20 years ago, the emergence of companies like, uh, like Sony, Matsushita, Panasonic, we have in, in Korea equally big companies, but there's a difference. They're not just doing consumer electronics. They're building technologies for manufacturing, automotive, supply chain, of course, mobile telephony with Samsung, and of course, consumer products. So, so Samsung, is uh, an example of the kind of company that exists in Korea, but there are many, many, many companies developing technologies in Korea. It's a very young economy. It's a very vibrant economy. It's a very tech-savvy economy. And if you haven't visited Seoul, it's an amazing city. Everything is digitized. There's much more tech here than you'll find in most companies or most countries. It's very similar to Singapore, and it has a very young, very vibrant population. This means there's a lot of developers here. They develop some cool games. So there's a very large game community here. There's also a center of excellence for blockchain. So as much as you hear about crypto and people being nervous about investments and coins, the truth is the government here is investing significantly in blockchain because they understand the disruptive nature of what blockchain can build to businesses. And the, the government here wants to see South Korea continue to lead. It's one of the leading edge centers of excellence for blockchain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How is the knowledge exchange with the government and with regulators working for you? Well, we can't comment, but what we can say is that the government here has a working body that is looking at everything to do with, with crypto. This is both crypto coins, it's so-called ICOs, it's blockchain. And we are involved with many of the discussions for two reasons. Number one, we're one of the oldest companies in blockchain. And number two, we think we have quite a lot of skills and credibility having worked with large companies to showcase what you can do with blockchain. So we are very close to many of these discussions, but I can't tell you too much about that, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I ask, because, um, you know, in Switzerland, that's oftentimes one of the USPs, you know, that people talk about. They say, oh, it's very easy to get in touch with regulators and with governments and speak with them about uh, technologies and, you know, blockchains and cryptocurrencies in particular, uh, you know, in terms of regulation and specific laws that may may have to change. So I was just wondering how that's working in South Korea. Oh, but the one thing I must add, if you can, is true. Many regulators and bodies are interested in understanding technologies. So this it's very easy to have these discussions, but there's a big difference between having discussions to educate versus having a deep discussion to help them regulate and build new laws. We are very much in the second category. We are, in effect, getting involved with discussions to discuss how we can move this technology and the surrounding ecosystem and regulation to make this much safer for not only businesses to use, but also for people, if they do make investments, to invest safe in understanding what they're investing in and making sure 
a lot of the negatives and the scams and the the negative kind of connotations that go with coins are removed over time from the industry. What is the main thing you want to achieve with your projects? Yeah, so yeah, so what we believe is like Linux, we think that there is a, a really, really good opportunity for these new technologies to solve a specific problem. And the problem is a very big problem. It's the centralization of data, the control. If you look at the digital economy, most companies are consumers of digital data, but there's very few companies who are controlling data. It's the it's the Facebooks, it's the Googles of this world. So if they say that data is a new oil, well, if that's true, how come all the oil goes through certain pipelines and it's controlled by maybe six or seven companies around the world? We do believe data is a new oil, but data needs to be shared to have the best value. You cannot share it if you control it or somebody is a control point. So we believe a distributed world where data can be shared and trusted at scale is the future. So Ergo as a platform is trying to become the platform that allows distributed businesses to share their data in a trustless environment at scale without having to go through a control point like a Facebook or a Google or other companies. That's what Ergo is trying to build, an ecosystem and a platform that allow that vision to come to, come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Cool. What's In your view, what do you think will happen in the coming maybe 12 to 18 months in the blockchain space? I think the next 12 months, you'll see a lot of two things. I think you'll see the regulator will move faster than people realize to help promote this technology the right way by moving, removing the bad actors and stopping scams, but also promoting the technology. And then the second thing is, which we're spending most of our time on, you'll see more and more real use cases evolve in some very, very interesting areas. And these use cases are the most fundamental thing needed for many companies to believe that technology can solve real, real big problems. So we think you'll see a significant change in a move from POCs to real reference customers. And that's what we're focusing on, making our technology work with customers to showcase real use cases. And if those things happen, the technology will move to the mainstream pretty much like Linux did. It's a, probably a three or four year journey, but I think you'll see a significant change in the next 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. Cool, yeah. Let's hope that happens. Phil, that was really interesting, very fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate your taking time today. Thanks ever so much, Manuel, and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us today. More info on our guests and our sponsors is in the show notes of this episode and on the podcast website, theblockchainandus.com. To help people find this podcast, it's important that you download, subscribe, and give it a top rating and review on iTunes or on the podcast platform of your choice. I'm Manuel Staggers, and I thank you very much for listening. <laughs>